Hello, you're listening to Wine Blast with me, Susie Barry, and my husband and fellow master of wine, Peter Richards. And today we are a threesome because we are being joined by living wine legend Oz Clark. <laughs> a bit lost as to how to follow that, but um, yes, we are indeed all over Oz Clark, poor chap, because he is one of the wine world's most fascinating characters and experienced tasters. Um, the kind of guy whose brain you just love to dive into and rummage around and uh, have a glass of claret while you're at it. Maybe. Which we did, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, we've known Oz for a long time, so there were many questions to ask. And when you chat to Oz, there are always unexpected and eye-opening moments, aren't there? Here's mm. one such mm. confession. You can never really understand the wine until you've had sex in the vineyard. My first, <clears throat> yes, my first that as well was in a Bordeaux vineyard. I'm not telling you her name, um, but it was. <laughs> brings a new meaning to the concept of terroir, doesn't it? Anyway, um, oh dear. We should say from the outset that this is a sponsored episode in partnership with Académie du Vin Library, uh, the publishers who've just put out Oz's latest book, uh, Oz Clark on Wine, uh, which is available in all good book retailers, uh, which they describe as Oz's most personal book to date, a great read. Um, and it is, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's just so much in it. I mean, yeah. there's Oz's own story, which is fascinating in itself, mm. and and then, then you get his really very personal take on wines and countries around the world. I mean, he he's always engaging and hugely enthusiastic, but he also doesn't shy away from voicing some pretty robust opinions. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, and that's what makes Oz Oz. It is, isn't it? It is. So um, the Academy du Vin Library publish a whole load of brilliant wine books. Do check them out at uh, academieduvinlibrary.com. That's vin as in V-I-N, um, not V-A-N. Vin, vin. That would be a bit weird. Bon vin. Academy du vin. Um, and, but they're, they're also <laughs> kindly offering a discount code on Oz's book. Uh, it's normally £30 or $45. US dollars. Uh, if you use the code WINEBLAST5... That's all capitals, Wine Blast 5. You get £5 or $5 off. And that makes it cheaper, we have checked, than Amazon. No way. Yes. Nothing's cheaper than Amazon. <laughs> Just to add, the discount doesn't um, doesn't actually apply to the ebook. Uh, but the Academy du Vin Library also published one of the other living wine legends we've interviewed on this podcast, doesn't mm. don't they? Um, Hugh yeah. Johnson, who was in Series Johnson. 1, Episode 23. Um, it's an episode that's well worth checking out. Hugh talks about, I seem to remember, making up some of the first World Atlas of Wine. That was a brilliant confession. Can, can Just you believe made it? it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he talks about. I think what well, he talks about tasting wine from the nineteen. Oh, sorry, fifteen forty vintage. Fifteen forty wasn't it? Stein I was say nineteen forty. Fifteen forty. Unreal. Uh, and then how the English. This is my favourite bit. Used to be sozzled all the time. Yeah. Well, we try to live up to that again these days. Don't we, we do. Yeah, yeah. We're doing our best. So, and it's not equally. It's not entirely unrelated to this interview with Oz either, is it? So. No. <laughs> Let's be fair. Um, the only other person we featured so far in this sub series of, of top interviews is Sam Neill. Uh, Hollywood superstar, isn't, yeah. isn't he? Um, but far more importantly, of course, a winemaking legend in Central Otago in New Zealand. Um, that was in Series 2, Episode 1. Um, he talked about, was it dinosaurs? Well, I he'd have to, wouldn't he? He did have to. We made him. Uh, yeah. but unprompted ukuleles came up. I don't uh, know where that came from. Meryl Street, the chicken, featured. <laughs> uh, the Antichrist, <laughs> taste some wine. That was definitely left field. He oh. talked about Charlie Chaplin at one point as well. I mean, the, the best part I remember is... is, is you know what was really in his mug of tea? Oh yeah, yeah. We really totally rumbled. He Sam said Neil. it was tea, but we reckon yeah. it was peanut. We know. 
We know. Anyway, but coming back to the, the man of the moment, uh, Oz Clark OBE. Mm. He is a man of many guises, a TV wine guy, a former actor and child chorister, huge rugby fan, prolific author, inveterate swimmer, the man credited with helping to democratise wine and usher in the new world, uh, someone who urges us to think while you drink and who claims he's never actually had a career, but has spent his whole life avoiding getting a proper job mm. and done it very successfully. No, but did you know his future once lay in dry cleaning? No. Yeah. Really? Yeah, it was a dry family cleaning. business, apparently. But he was dry cleaner. Dry clean. I like the idea of, oh, well, we've been through this before, haven't we, that, you know, I like the idea of dry cleaners because they're nice and warm. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> he was he was adamant. <laughs> dry he cleaners was, or dry cleaning? Dry, whatever. Places. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Whatever. Um, Oz, Oz didn't want to go there. He clearly didn't need it. Um, yeah. But he was adamant he wanted to go his own way and and he certainly did and it wasn't the way of dry cleaning. It certainly was not and he's certainly done his own thing, hasn't he? Um, so talking about going in your own way, uh, Oz uh, did help you actually, didn't he? Get out, Go, go your oh, own way and, and get back into wine back in the day, didn't he? He did, he did. Yes, yeah, I've told this story on, many times. Uh, but it was, uh, it was when, uh, well, I was a former actress myself. Um, I was working in Panto in Oxford um, I was playing Dandini and I went along with Cinderella to a wine tasting hosted by Oz, which just happened to be on our night off. And um, I don't think he's ever let me forget it, really. No, neither have I. It's just the thought of going along something with Cinderella. I just can't get over that. I think it's the best <laughs> thing in the world. Uh, she I've was my gorgeous that. friend and she was a perfect <laughs> Cinderella. Anyway, um, I think so many people either know Oz or, or feel like they know Oz because of his very personal way of talking about wine and enthusing people about wine. Um, and of course, his you know regular appearances on TV and radio and in print and all that. So, you know, we wanted to do something, I think it's fair to say, just a bit different with this interview, didn't we? Yeah. I mean, we, we just, well, we wanted to get into some things that we don't normally hear from, mm. from him. And we yeah. decided, um, well, we decided that going to see Oz at his house on a Monday morning would be the best way to do that. Mm. Also, the safest way to keep things nice and tight, focused, business-like. Mm. Did that happen? No, because he, no. started, he started opening the wine, didn't he? He did. Monday morning. <laughs> we might have known. <laughs> and we tried our best to refuse, sort of, yeah. uh, but it was just impossible. Valiantly. I mean, especially when he produced a bottle of 2010 Furley Blanc de Blanc, which mm. is Blanc, Blanc a... Blanc de Noir, wasn't it? Blanc de Noir, sorry. Mm. I'm getting carried away now, aren't yeah, I? Blanc, Blanc de Noir, um, which is a lovely, gosh, lovely sparkling wine from Dorset. Oh. And it was tasting so deliciously rich and mm. mature and It was, mm, wasn't it? It was, it was just sensational. And that was only trumped by the uh, 1985 claret, wasn't it, from Chateau Lagrange, which then came out. Just a real mm. treat. How can you resist? <laughs> you know, it was, and that wine was unbelievable, wasn't it? It was just so beautifully mature and fragrant. Just a Incredible. classic claret, you know, the kind, it's not easy to find those sort of wines these days, you know, yeah. with sort of crisp acidity, firm tannins, really age-worthy, just sort of refreshing and, and sort of revitalising. Mm. And it's 36 years old. Mm. What a mm. treat. A total treat. Yeah. Um, but of course, uh, this did have um, an inevitable <laughs> bearing on our chat. Uh, things either went downhill or uphill, depending on your take. Yeah, yeah. I think very few chats with, with real you know proper wine pros go downhill after a few glasses don't they mm, i guess it depends if you're a glass half empty or a glass half full kind of person um but but no you're right um and it was a fascinating chat eye-opening intriguing mm. we could have talked 
for days. Um, yeah. You'll be pleased to hear we didn't. Mm. Um, but of course, we we did run out of time, didn't we? We did run out of time. I had to leave for a doctor's appointment. I was I was hosting the interview. Had to leave for a doctor's appointment. Oh, at COVID. which point, you had to take over and man the microphone, didn't you? I did. I did. You know, I thought I was just going to be there for the ride, really, a bit of tech support. Um, mm. But you know, and to maybe just to enjoy a few glasses of wine. Um, but you know, I think <laughs> you did I think that. in the end, I acquitted myself manfully. Indeed, on the mics. Indeed, you did. Um, but <laughs> as we're unexpected getting, as it was. We're slightly getting ahead of ourselves, I think, yeah, yeah. aren't we? Before we start, we should probably set the scene mm. a, a little bit more than just the fact there was lots of wine on the table. Uh, so Oz had offered us two recording locations in his handsome London house, uh, which is modern and uh, airy and wonderfully cluttered. Um, I think we can safely say he's never met Marie Kondo, has he? Seriously. That wine cavern he's got, I can't think of another way to say it. It's a wine cavern he's got downstairs. Is quite something, isn't it? It certainly is. I mean, something to behold. There are literally bottles, boxes, Books. My OCD was struggling. Everywhere. I think I could see you visibly shaking when we walked in. Yeah. And he, I remember, he, so we walked in and he sort of offered us to sit on the wine. We could perch on the wine boxes with sort of our feet around our chins and our, you know, mics these, over these there. These were cardboard boxes, weren't they? We thought, we thought we might get a bit crampy. Uh, so, so instead, we sort of we, we opted for the sort of living dining room area, which was unfortunately a bit echoey, and did also unfortunately have a lot of noises of cars and planes and the building site next door. There was which definitely was some building going on. A bit next annoying, door, wasn't but it, it was kind yeah. of needs must, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it was. But I mean, hopefully, you know, who cares? You can sit back and just focus on Oz's beautiful baritone voice. Mm. Um, so we wanted to ask him all sorts of things, and we did um, about what frustrates him about wine, natural wine, climate change. His favourite and least favourite grapes, uh, Bordeaux, whether Burgundy should replant its red vineyards with Syrah. Um, mm, how a controversial to, notion, isn't that it? Was, that was quite controversial, but, you know, we all love Syrah, don't we? Mm-hmm. Um, and how to disagree. And he answered us in full and fascinating fashion, uh, even, as we've already heard, divulging some very personal details along the way. <laughs> anyway, let's dive in. Os Clark. I have known you for for 30 years. Um, You are still as passionate about wine as you ever were, as far as I can see. What is it that still gets you out of bed in the morning? Well, it's it's everything. Um, It's certainly not only just wine. Uh, I think of wine as one of the delights of life, uh, along with music and eating and, I don't know, driving the car out into the country, if necessary, certainly things like walking along the cliff top, seeing the English ocean, wondering whether it's warm enough to have a swim, thinking, is there a pub around the corner there? Life, life, life. I just think that wine is a, is a thrilling thing to have become a bit of a, an expert in, a thrilling thing to be a real enthusiast for. Uh, it's just part of these wonderful threads that we're lucky enough in this generation, we're lucky enough to have a bunch of threads which you can wind into a fabulous quality of life. And, and this wine, good wine, any wine, if it's drunk in the right mood and shared in, in the right way, uh, is an exciting, glistening thread in that, in that little bundle of life. So we're here to talk about your book. Oz Clark on Wine. Um, it's a book that's both personal and professional. Um, you talk about your life and also wine from all around the world. Um, now, it's clear from the book you've never been afraid to to challenge the establishment. Um, so what do you see right now that needs to change in the wine world that you'd happily kind of rail against? 
I think I've been railing for quite a long time now against excessive alcohol, uh, excessive ripeness. Um, much as I like some of the international consultants and, and viticultural and wine consultants, I think their, their influence has gone far enough. I think they did an enormous amount of good in the 1980s and 90s, probably, uh, and they don't necessarily do uh, good any longer. I think that the scientists who created all our modern yeasts and all our, our modern enzymatic uh, treatments and all the rest, and probably um, the ones who created all kinds of ways of, of chemically managing vineyards, um, uh, did a great deal of good and now have begun to do far more harm than good. Those same scientists, by the way, uh, for let's take yeast, the people who created all these yeasts, and there are, there are thousands of, of fabulous yeasts on the market from the different yeast companies, but so many of them were to actually maximize the creation of sugar, to maximize uh, the creation of alcohol. They need to use that same expertise now to reverse the process, to start finding ways of reducing the conversion of sugar, reducing the creation of alcohol. It's the same as the people in the vineyards. They've taken all those those scratchy, scrabbly, scrawny old gobelet vineyards all over the place and made them into fantastically impressive looking vertical shoot positioning military um, uh, parade ground stuff, which of course VSP, vertical shoot position, is a, is a, a sugar factory. It's fantastically efficient. Thank you, fellas, for showing us how to do it. Now, can you show us how to stop doing it? It's and the same old thing. I think a lot of the great progress that we've made now uses, using the same expertise now needs to be reversed. And do you think that's particularly in light of climate change? Because I know you spoke up very early about the dangers of climate change. Um, you met with serious pushback at the time. I think you were giving a speech in, in New York for Wine Spectator that at some huge big event and people were literally walking out in droves. Um, only a few stayed and listened to you. You were clearly right. I mean, A, how did it feel at the time to be pushing against a wall of opposition? But B, what do you think to that now? Certainly it was, it was a Pretty salutary moment for me. I was the keynote speaker at the New York Wine Experience for the Wine Spectator. And I stood up and thought, okay, um, you've got to be brave about this. It was 1993. And I stood up and said to this serried ranks of all the top producers in particularly France, but also Spain and Italy and places, you've got to uh, think again about what's happening around the world. I started talking about... Uh, rising seas and changes in climate and 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 projections of what's going to go on and started talking about what was going to happen to our vineyards and when I began to touch upon Bordeaux and Burgundy and and Piedmont and these places people just got shocked and you there was a a sense of absolute shock and then anger in the room and then row after row of these people would just get up and storm out of the room and I always remember four people didn't storm out. They came, they stood up and walked to the now empty front row <laughs> and sat in front of me in the front row and said, we're listening. And that was Miguel Torres from Spain, Piero Antonori and Angelo Gaia from Italy and Christian Wex from Bordeaux. I, and I have always been grateful 
for that. So what do you think they should do? What should individual producers do to, to combat climate change? There's, I think there's back to the future. I, I think we should make our, uh, our viticulture less efficient. I think we should, we should consider going back to Gobelets. It's a less efficient way to, to grow your grapes, and therefore that may be what's needed. The old California sprawl, which is another version of it. I have to say to the Californian guys, some of those wines they made in the 70s up to about the mid-80s are still fabulous today and have far more personality than most of the wines that are coming out of somewhere like the core of the Napa Valley at 15.5% alcohol nowadays. And those were at 12.5% alcohol. I don't know whether we can do 12.5% alcohol anymore because we're now warmer. Um, uh, it, it may not be possible. You look at an old Schaefer or something like that, that's 12.5% alcohol. The same way as you look at an old Grange, it's 12.5% alcohol. You look at Lynch Barge 1982, it's probably 12.5% alcohol. So aside from changing your, your vine training and the way you know, you're know you trellising, what about varieties? Do you think people should seriously consider, for example, Burgundy, we move from Pinot to, to Syrah and Bordeaux, we start planting much, much more of the, of the uh, well, you could be into Dura varieties, frankly. But w- what do you think? Is that possible? Would people really I think it's take perfectly that seriously? Possible. Uh, after all, um, if you say to... A Burgundian. Oh, you know, that's a lovely Chardonnay you're making. You say, I do not make Chardonnay, I make Merceau. And you say, well, that's a jolly nice Pinot Noir. I, say, I do not make Pinot Noir, I make Jouvray Chambertin. So what he's basically saying is the grape is the locomotive for the terroir. Aubert de Vilaine, the great Aubert de Vilaine at, 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 um, at Domaine de Romney Conti, he says Pinot Noir has no character. It, has, it, is not, it is everything and yet it is nothing. But if you're really saying that because for hundreds of years, maybe thousands, uh, Pinot Noir has been the locomotive that worked for those bits of land. Now, if those bits of land are going to stay famous for another Viable hundred years, and, yeah. um, maybe they need uh, a, different loco- a different locomotive. It may be that locomotive is syrup. There is some already planted in, in Beaujolais, and the word is there's already quite a lot dotted about in the Cote d'Or. But maybe its moment has come. After all, the great Cote Rotis, they said, ah, sapinot, which means this is now tasting like Burgundy. Now, I'm going to move on to natural wines, as we know them. Uh, They've recently kind of challenged the traditional wine world, the idea, the whole notion of natural wines. You, in turn, have kind of challenged the evangelists, saying that wine's first duty is to just taste good, and some or several natural wines just don't necessarily taste good. Do you think the future of wine is more and more natural, or do you think natural wine's importance is going to be relatively short-lived and only really kind of relevant in terms of challenging standardization and, and sameness that we've we've sort of been um, oh, subjected to yeah. in the in the 90s and, and noughties. I think that its role to challenge uh, cynicism in winemaking, to challenge the agro-industrial world of winemaking, to challenge um, vast homogenization of winemaking. I think the natural winemaking movement, i.e. completely non-intervention, was an entirely plausible movement by a, a generation of people who cared a lot about that. I know natural wine goes back um, far further than just now, but 
the, it's really the, this, pre, this last generation who've really taken it uh, on board. And I think when you look around a woke generation, we're living in a woke period of, of time at the moment, it, it completely uh, rings true uh, with them that one should not interfere with what nature uh, gives us. But the idea that uh, you're not making human interference is, is surely not true. Surely a good natural winemaker is making loads of human decisions every single day which are actually, uh, which are actually transforming that wine. And I would say that, that we've made fabulous progress in making life easier for people not to make mistakes, making life easier uh, to create this, frankly, artificial drink called wine, which would otherwise be vinegar. Um, I think it's, uh, it's an important movement. Um, I think it's a movement, not an ideology. Uh, I think that for a certain section of wine drinkers, it'll be very important, just as the, the, the kind of way their food is, uh, is created will be very important, the kind of clothes they wear will, will be very important. I don't think it's necessary for the vast majority of wine producers or wine drinkers to uh, get completely hooked up on the idea of natural. I think sustainable is a completely different matter. I think we should all, uh, especially here in 2021, uh, with what we know about uh, climate change, with what we know about ecological challenge, I think we should all in our lives naturally be adopting a sustainable uh, lifestyle. And I think we all can. Uh, I don't think that it's one of those things that is out of reach. Anybody who can afford the odd bottle of wine can afford a sustainable outlook in life. Now, just moving on, you um, in Oz Clark on Wine, you, you write, the grape variety is at the very heart of the different flavours in wine. Uh, and you go on to choose the grapes that you feel have had the greatest impact, I think it's fair to say, on the world of wine. Now, we've done podcasts on the best white wine grapes and the best red wine grapes. We had loads of people um, who, who voted for their favourites. They got pretty hot under the collar about this. Uh, we had things like Riesling Chardonnay Sauvignon at the top of the whites, but also things like Assertico and Ferment, um, Sauvignon, which I love, Ribola Gialla, those kind of Timorasso crazy grapes. Um, in terms of reds, we had Pinot Noir, Syrah, Nebbiolo, also Cabernet Franc, but then things like Sagrantino, Cadarca, Menthau. Um, so we wanted to ask you, Oz Clark, if you had to choose one or two, perhaps, um, red and white grapes that you just love, that you would take to your desert island, what would they be? Um uh- uh, what? How long can the pause be before I work out what the, what the answer is? <laughs> I really because sprung that on you, didn't With I? something like uh, red wines, I am thrilled by the number of old varieties, particularly around the Mediterranean basin, that are all beginning to stand up and saying, hey, I've been here for hundreds of years. I can cope, I can cope. But I've they can got cope with the six heat, of me left. Yeah. Um, Italy's got lots of them. Greece has got lots of them. Uh, France has got a fair number. Uh, Spain, Portugal, those, those kind of things. Uh, white wines are almost more impressive. As a generic, I'm really excited about what the old grape varieties uh, can do. But when it comes down to my favourites... I would still stick with Chardonnay. 
as a second white variety, if it's just the sheer delight I've had for so many years, I would, I would, I would choose Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, if it's for more fascinating things that might go on in my brain and my heart when I'm drinking, I could choose a Sirtico or I could choose Ferment or, or, or I, could, I could choose Bourbolenk, I could choose lots of other ones. But um, Chardonnay still sits on top of all those. Uh, it goes through bad times and good, but it still sits on top. And for red grape varieties, I get excited every year by new things I discover in Greece or Italy or Turkey, um, or the revival of strange bits and pieces in places like Rioja, Romero del Duero, all these places, Galicia. But I would put Syrah as the most endlessly adaptable, fascinating uh, grape variety. Um, and I would plant it in much cooler places than it's often planted now. Uh, and I would not, I would try and take it away from that template of high alcohol and new wood. I think it doesn't need high alcohol or new wood and it is far better without it. And I would, I would put Bordeaux, not just Cabernet Sauvignon, and I would largely remove Merlot from my favourites. I'm afraid in the 21st century, uh, I am tired of big, heavy, overripe, jammy, thick, uh, overmade Merlots. This is, there's too much. I mean, all Cabernet Merlot, all, all of them have been planted in some of the wrong places, but Merlot particularly because it's so easy to sell. So I would actually largely remove Merlot from my requirements, but I would keep the two Cabernets and Petit Verdot. I think Petit Verdot is a fabulous grape. I think it's coming into its own now. I think Cabernet Franc is showing that amazingly it's better able to cope. Everyone said, oh, it's only, it's only cool climate, it's only Loire. It isn't. It's actually better able to hold on to its character in warm conditions and at higher alcohol than most Cabernet Sauvignons are. Which is so important at the and moment. Yeah. It'd be interesting of going back to the, the Merlot. We we did did find that Merlot didn't get a lot of love in our in our survey um, and our our questioning on our podcast. However, what I do want to do is just just take you back to Bordeaux as a general idea for a moment because then um, your first ever tasting was Bordeaux. Um, equally, as we've mentioned, you have championed the new world and um, saying the old world like Bordeaux was too fusty. But you're still a fan of it. We know you are. You've written books on it. Why is there still a fascination with Bordeaux? Well, I tell you what. One thing, by the way, I brought an old bottle of Bordeaux up here. You have. Um, if you just feel I'm like me, I'm angling for that opening. You know, I think I think it's got a moment of opening about it. Let me see if I can. It's a 1985, um, which is a wonderful year, which again was poo-pooed by the the old. The old brigades, oh, no, 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 the vintage is too big and um, the tannins, are, it won't last and all the rest. Vintage too big. Shadow Lynch Barge, 1982, one of the great 82s. It was way over 100 hectolitres to the hectare. Ponte Cani, m- most of the great 1982 Bordeaux were completely out of kilter when it came to uh, um, the, the Appalachian Controle, took not a blind bit of notice. I think one of the things in the, in the future, is, especially in, in warm conditions, is you don't need to over-concentrate your fruit. One of the, one of the problems with, with over-concentration is you lose nuance. 
you gain a sort of a, a sort of a boring respectability you you gain the ability to to impress the impressionable and you actually lose the joy of thinking endlessly what as around a table when a really good bottle of wine comes out just that wonderful sense of sometimes that just there's just silence there's just and you can see everyone is smiling everyone is happy and everyone's got a mouth full of something they're rolling around and thinking I wonder what that is. I wonder what that's reminding me of. I wonder what that, the memories of my life, memories of my relationships, memories of the places I've been, all in a bottle of wine. Well, that doesn't happen with a bottle of 15.5% Merlot. And it might happen with a bottle of 30-year-old Bordeaux from a top property in a top village like St. Julian. Possibly like this 1985, which I'm looking at at the moment. You really wanted some of that wine, didn't you? You know, you cast yourself as a victim here, but actually you were really gunning for that claret, weren't you, on a Monday morning, Susie It just Barry. looked so beautiful. And then, you know, when he poured it, I mean, the smell was... Oh, I, I can't yeah. even begin to describe it. We'll, we'll come on to that. Do we want to um, mention we? that he made a bit of a mess with the cork, or is that, is that a bit disloyal? That is very unfair. Very unfair. I mean, he, he had a lovely butler's friend corkscrew. Let's yeah. explain this. Um, one of those um, sort of two-pronged ones that, that grip the outside of the cork. I mean, I think especially mm. for, yes. for older wines. Anyway, didn't quite work. But it didn't matter yeah. in the end because he did get the cork out, finally. And the wine, which is far more important, was amazing. Mm. Um, so we're going to rejoin our chat when we tasted the wine. But I, I want you to focus on that notion Oz has just introduced of special wine. Bordeaux in this case, evoking memories, evoking memories and people and places. Cheers, cheers. cheers. I, I think we need to be able to describe this to at least share it with our listeners don't we well it's, it's actually quite a, a brick color isn't it's it lovely, it's, a, it's, a, really... it's got a lot of color in it still but yeah. these 85s are absolutely tremendous look at oh. some wonderful color oh moment that smell is incredible when bordeaux's brilliant it's truly spectacular isn't it yeah. and it's from a different era isn't it <gasps> will will the 2015s taste like that in 30 years time i don't think so but let, let's just Come on, never mind me. Oh, you, just, you, see, you describe you, you that smell, smell Oz. That, they, the old timers talk about things like undergrowth and soubois and those kind of things. This has got what one almost might say, is that slightly musty? Um, I don't think it is. I think it's, it's the dampness of a wonderful November day when you're actually walking in the new forest. It's that dampness. It's the way it which, teeters on the yeah. brink of... yeah. You, no, it's definitely not musty, but it's just so intriguing and beautiful. And it's old things, and it's old wood, and it's yeah. old clothes, and it's old, old leather. lovable people, and it's it's, <laughs> it is, it's it oldness. Is. It's happy oldness. Yeah, it's happy oldness. And then I'm looking at this colour. I know there's going to be tons of flavour there. I know there's going to be as much fruit as you could ever possibly want. I know there is because I've already started drinking it because I can't resist. It's absolutely delicious. So perfectly balanced. That's why I, that's why I buy Bordeaux, mm. shove it under the stairs. Mm. I bought this. I remember precisely when I bought this. Uh, and I've been keeping it and keeping it and keeping it and just saying, for God's sake, start drinking it. This to me, and this will get, only get better in the next hour. Um, and it's got, it's got a sweetness to it. It's and heavenly. yet it's no sugar at all. It's like that. I remember writing about that first ever Bordeaux I had, which was Leval Barton, 1962. 
I remember saying that it, it was as though a dragon had sucked all the sweetness out of the fruit and just left the essence of blackcurrant without any sugar at all. Um, this is richer than that, but it's the same idea that there's no sugar in this here. There's just a beautiful ancient sweetness which is beginning to get slightly ethereal. There's nothing lumpish. There's nothing thick on the palate. It the, flows over your palate. Well, exactly. There's no one thing, is there? No you know, one everything, thing. Nothing fights yeah. with and something else for, for dominance. It's every just, mouthful's going to get, get going to be delicious. different and better. But no, this the, the um, uh, that wine. Thank God that they gave me that wine because it 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 meant that from the very beginning I saw what Bordeaux could be, and I think that your first time is in many things. It, if it's exciting and good, it sticks in your heart and your and your spirit forever. And this stuck in my spirit, absolutely stuck in my spirit. Um, my first ever wine trip was to Bordeaux. Uh, my first, well, my first, my first, <clears throat> yes, my first dad as well was in a Bordeaux vineyard. I'm not telling you her name, um, but it was. Uh, <laughs> My first, so many things in 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 wine were Bordeaux. I think at this stage uh, we oh. need to come up for air again. Mm. Um, we've gone from Oz on Bordeaux, which is the usual <laughs> position. Um, we used Do to... we have to say position? Seriously, <laughs> sorry, come sorry. on! I'll There's enough, enough, you know, enough. Um, we, we've now gone on to Oz doing things. In Bordeaux, yeah, yeah. I mean, I still can't, when I listen back to yeah. that, I still can't quite believe it. Um, it was, it was definitely, yeah. Flo- I was floored. Something of a surprise you were, you confession because you quite rarely sort of you were almost quite prim. You wanted just to move. I could I see did. you just wanting to move. <laughs> I thought on. afterwards, why did I do that? But I really just felt like I, I, was, I did not I know thinking, what to ask say. Ask the question anyway. But clearly, quite you know, believe I, it. I think let's let's uh, pull out a second. Um, draw back. See the overview. Um, clearly with Oz, you know, the personal and the professional are just totally inseparable, aren't they? You know, I suppose to yeah. a certain extent that's true of most of us. Wine's a bit like that. It's incredibly lucky to well, work in it wine. Makes you, um, it also, it's a wonderful sort of social loop. Open up. Uh, but for, you know, I think for Oz, Bordeaux, you know, this wine that, that, that featured in his first proper wine tasting when he was at university, really left a mark on him didn't it in yeah. so many different ways yeah 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 anyway um <laughs> there we go um I, I mean I'm, I'm going croaky just thinking about it um I, I was just speech. yes I, yeah. I, I don't know yes and what to say but I had anyway I had loads of questions mm. uh, that I still wanted to ask uh, even though I was picking myself up uh, but I had run out of time Officially I had to race home at that absolutely critical juncture yeah uh, which was a bit unfortunate yeah wasn't it was it? it was but um, and just to say at this stage you know to explain from a technical point of view there, there there has been a lot of editing of this material from this chat so what you hear is is a very very shortened version mm. you've been there for, we've been there for a long time mm. by this stage mm. uh, we and then we, you stayed exactly so we had hours of recording really we have you know and, and we'd been there a long time hadn't we so, yeah. so 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 the very carefully laid neat and tidy plan uh, by this stage was being ripped up <laughs> um i had to pass the baton on to you mm. didn't i and yeah. i was desperately hoping that you would stick to the script and ask the right questions did you um well i'm not sure if they were the right questions um <laughs> but there was definitely one question i just couldn't help but go straight in with which i think you'll you'll I know what imagine. it is um and it was this you know and, and i should just preface 
by uh, this by mentioning that Christian Muex used to be in charge of Chateau Petrus, uh, one of the finest and most expensive wines on the planet. Oz, we're enjoying this lovely wine. Susie's had to nip off. You know, it's just the two of us now. Complete confidence. And I wanted to pick you up on something you did just mention. You lost your wine virginity in Bordeaux. But did I get? Did I hear right that you lost your actual virginity in Bordeaux too? I'm not really sure that I should be talking about my actual virginity. It's with, just, with it's you, just us two. No one else is. No, I mean, you, just, it would have been easier if Susie and, had and asked, asked the question. Of course, now that Susie's gone, I could possibly mention it. No, it was <laughs> what am I call my vineyard virginity. Your vineyard virginity. That's entirely, okay, so when you, Christ, you said Christian, I can't, Christian Wex said you can never really understand a wine until you've had sex in the vineyard. And I look at Chateau Petrus and think, it's very small, it's very flat, and there are normally hundreds of Japanese and Chinese tourists with their iPhones. And I just think, I, I hope it was, a, it was a new moon night. <laughs> so, okay, you said we can't, I can't ask about the girl involved. Can we ask which region, which area? I mean, was it Chateau it, Petrus? It wasn't. It was, it was, the Appalachian was Margot. Margot. All right. Uh, that leaves just enough mystery, Oz. We'll, yeah. we'll leave it there, but thank you for, uh, for sharing. Um, and I'm this, very fond of this Appalachian to this day. For that reason. So when we see you championing Margot wines... You'll know why. <laughs> <laughs> what do you drink when you're not drinking? Milk. I love milk. All milk? No, blue, blue top. Milk. Green top? Uh, uh, I leave full, full, full fat... Full, full fat. My local shop here used to bring up um, deliveries from a farm in, in North Devon three times a week. And I would go every delivery and get, get a litre. And it was always different. Now, I can't do that at the moment. Um, uh, they're, they're not get, that farm is no longer mm. selling or whatever. But milk has an absolute terroir every single day. A morning milk and an evening milk for those cows. What they have eaten that day changes the flavour of the milk. Mm. And if you then don't pasteurise it and you just milk it gently, particularly something like a jersey, which I'm particularly fond of jersey because the flat, the, 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 the fat globules are genuinely different. And I think scientifically they are different to something like an Ayrshire mm. um, or, or a Guernsey, which are, are certainly more high volume uh, uh, cows. If you can get, you can day by day by day by day, that meadow has a terroir. And the terroir is not only the place, it's the rain, it's the wind, it's the sun, it's the mood of the cows. And if, if I had to just uh, have, a, have a drink which endlessly satisfies me, good milk. And give me a one-sentence tasting note of the best milk. It, it sounds silly, but I can taste the cow. It has a, it's, it's again, like with wine often, it coats your mouth and it doesn't stick and it coats and it seems to be both rich and savoury and hinting on a, a, a tiny bit of sourness, but the sourness is so easily balanced by the beautiful richness. Delicious. Now, as the, the, the world of wine has changed beyond recognition in your lifetime. I mean, sometimes we forget how far we come, but, you know, as you remind us in the book, 60s and 70s, uh, wine drinking in Britain really was the exception rather than the rule. Uh, and the wine producing world was, was smaller then too. It's totally changed now. What's the future of wine? Wine has got a glittering future if it opens its mind and if it 
absolutely opens its mind to what's happening around us in terms of climate change, but also in terms of what people are starting to want in in life. In life, we are at this minute, and it won't last forever, but it's here at the moment in this woke generation. We are in a in a, a turmoil, and it's mostly a turmoil of people in their teens to twenties to thirties. A, a turmoil which is to do with authenticity, it's to do with integrity. Um, it's it's uh, unfortunately it's it's sometimes to do with not letting other people say what they think, um, but that is that is uh, an unfor- a darker side of our our modern world. But our the brighter side of our modern world is be true to me, show me the the good stuff, show me where my food comes from, show me how it's made, show me why I should buy this, show show me the flavors that I like. Show me the, the the authenticity, the integrity of them. Well, honestly, if wine tells that story, uh, it's it's got as good a story in, as any drink. It's got a better story. Much as I like gin, it's got a far better story than gin. I like whiskey. It's got a far better story than whiskey. I like beer. It's got a better story than beer. I like cider. It's got a better story than cider. I like milk. Ah, Perhaps it hasn't. Well, of course, it's got a better story than milk. <laughs> we need to tell a better story, and I think we need. To, maybe we need to be more light-hearted, actually, Peter. Maybe we need. This isn't a very light-hearted decade. Um, where it's a strugglesome decade. It's a, you know things. A lot is hitting home. Brexit and COVID and climate change. It's not an easy time to be light-hearted in public. Are we taking? life a bit too seriously and can wine help with that i think we're definitely taking life too seriously that doesn't mean that life's not very serious around us Uh, life is serious around us at the moment there's some very very serious issues to deal with it doesn't mean we have to spend our life inwardly looking groaning with the misery of dealing with it we could probably uh be more effective in dealing with it if if we had uh, a more light-hearted, gregarious, uh, maybe slightly indulgent way of dealing with it. Um, in, your, in the book, you say one, one of one, the great things about wine is being able to disagree in a very civilised way. Yeah. Is that, have we lost that too? We have lost that. Honestly, the, 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 you must be able to disagree about wine. It's, wine is subjective. It's absolutely fundamental that you should be able to disagree with a smile on your face, with someone else who's also got a smile on their face. It's fundamental. No one is right about wine. Uh, probably no one is wrong about wine. Now, at the end of the book, you say wine is a delightful, largely unnecessary, but immensely enjoyable member of that group of activities and products that makes our lives more fun to live. How important is fun? in life i think fun is tremendously important i think i think you can find fun probably almost anywhere uh if your if your mood is is right just also just just be happy what is this human condition we're in what is the human condition if it's if it's about a veil of tears i mean i've read all of the 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 19th century christian stuff about saying oh god it's all terrible and you know don't worry it's all going to be better when you get to the other side Maybe, but as far as I'm concerned, we're here to try and have the happiest 
time we can in on this earth to try and fulfill things to try and achieve things hopefully the happiness will partly be doing good and being a good member of society being being active in trying to make life better for ourselves and others not just other people for ourselves as well fun surely a smile a joke a laugh a quip a, a pleasantry a, a a hug a kiss that is terribly important Oz Clark thank you very much indeed cheers to you Peter my old friend cheers well that will take a bit of editing he wasn't wrong there <laughs> spot on the, the editing knives have been out in some quantity uh you know, to stop the episode being about three hours long. Uh, it's a bit of a shame, to be honest, um, because, you know, there was so much other stuff we chatted about, wasn't there? Mm. You know, I mean, I don't know, maybe we can mm. find a way to put the whole thing up, whole conversation up somewhere if anyone fancies hearing it. Um, because, you know, what, we, we talked about loads of things, didn't we? We, we yeah. talked about English wine, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, his TV antics with Jilly Goulden and, and James May, yeah, yeah. Uh, scoring wine and Robert Parker, mm-hmm. that was an interesting one. Um, how wine tasting obviously started for Oz as, as his way of getting dates. Um, <laughs> and we also, we touched on things like regrets, you know, both both professional but also personal, which, mm. is, which is quite interesting. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. anyway, anyway, we must today leave it there. Mm. If you want to hear more from Oz, then do buy his book. It is brilliant. Mm, it's yeah. Oz Clark on Wine, available from Academy du Vin Library. Uh, and you get, well, academyduvinlibrary.com. And you can get a £5 or $5 discount off the cover price if you use the code WINEBLAST5, all in capitals. Mm. So by way of uh, a final plug, uh, Oz is a big fan of English wine, as are we. So if you haven't bought our Big English Wine Adventure charity wines already, please do so. Um, all profits are going to help restore our seas and fight climate change uh, via the Marine Conservation Society. Uh, the wines are stunning. Uh, they are unique. Don't miss out. Uh, you can buy them at thewinesociety.com or hattingleyvalley.com. All the links and stuff uh, are on our website. So just go to our homepage, susieandpeter.com, uh, and there's a, there's a link to the Big English Wine Adventure on there. So huge thanks to Oz Clark. Thank you to the Academy du Vin Library. And of course, thanks to you for listening. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.